0: Today's show is brought to you by Pleasureland RV, best in the Midwest. Learn more at PleasurelandRV.com. Howdy, folks. Rob Drieslein with you for one big hour of WCCO Outdoors on AM 830 News Talk. Very excited to be here. Jonathan Lowe going to keep me in line again like he has uh Every week that I've been around, appreciate folks who have joined us on this broadcast. The past several weeks, we were off last week, right? We had a, a Timberwolves game that uh, that bounced us, and that's going to happen occasionally. But uh, that's that's the way it goes. There's a lot to talk about, and I'm really excited. We're still uh, we still got deer hunting going on out there. Been a bit of a slower year. The deer harvest is definitely down a bit. Uh, we'll, perhaps we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. If you've got a question for me, or you want you want to give us a call or or text us. The uh, line is 651-461-9226. Give us a call. We'd love to uh, take some questions here at the start of the show. Uh, We, uh, a little bit later, are going to have the new Minnesota Deer Hunters Association Executive Director, an interview with him, Jared Mazurik, young guy. Uh, Very excited to see some new blood in the conservation scene here in Minnesota. Uh, of course, the uh, the previous executive director, Craig Engwald, a friend of mine, has had that job for quite a while. I don't know, has it been 10 years? Did a fine job over there. But uh, he moved on, got a job with the state, I believe. Uh, we'll probably talk to Craig one of these days about what he's up to. But uh, this new uh, youngster is taken over uh, first of the year, I think, officially is his, uh, is when he takes over. He's in his 30s for a guy uh, who's 52. That's, that's a youngster. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the... Common busts that occur during the deer hunting season. By bust, I'm referring to the top 10 deer hunting season violations. And, yes, there are some common ones. And a DNR enforcement uh, supervisor, uh, Major Robert Garecki, is going to join us at the bottom of the hour. We'll talk to him a little bit about that. Everybody likes who's busted stories, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a bit. We will wrap up the show with an ice report. Yes, believe it or not, there is some ice forming out there. Uh, we are, of course, going to insist on safety first. I don't think anyone really should be going out on the ice yet, especially across the central portion of the state. But i got to thank northern Minnesota. We've got ice that's probably going to be close by Thanksgiving uh, if they're not already out. Uh, Glenn Schmidt, uh, who puts together the Outdoor News Fishing Report, is going to check in with us and give us a solid ice report around Minnesota. This is our first show since the election. You may have heard uh, there were some uh, midterm elections held here Going on two weeks ago now. And I wrote my column this week about what the elections mean for conservation. Uh, I think we were all surprised the way the elections finished up, uh, particularly here in Minnesota with the DFL taking over the state Senate. And a lot of folks asking, you know, what does that mean for different sorts of issues? And, of course, I'm coming at that from an outdoors hunting, fishing, conservation point of view. A couple quick thoughts. One, we tried to get Governor Tim Walls to game fair for a gubernatorial debate. This is something we've always done during an election year. And just about every year we pull it off. Every election year we pull it off. I I guess there has been a time or two maybe with an incumbent when we did not have one of those. And we did have an incumbent this year. Nonetheless, I thought Governor Walls would show up. I thought... What does he have to lose uh, by reaching out to the outdoors constituency? Uh, if you look back at the session, the Republicans didn't bring forth a whole lot of uh, dollars in, in their in their budget proposal for the environment and for conservation. And I thought Governor Walls could have kind of leveraged that a little bit in a debate with Scott Jensen. Uh, Jensen said he would show up at the game fair debate. He was very clear from the from the outset: yes, I'll be there. But we couldn't get Walls to attend. And you know we beat him up a little bit in outdoor news, and, and and Dennis Anderson, the Star Tribune, called him out on that, and and other folks did too. And I was a little bit struck by the political price that Walls apparently paid for that was absolutely zero. Uh, unfortunately, I not not to say that that he shouldn't have been elected, but it's I'm coming at it more from I I would like to think that ignoring sportsmen there would be a little bit of a, a political price for that and it and it didn't really seem to be uh, so nonetheless governor walls winning by seven points almost, I think almost eight points i think that was the largest winning margin by an incumbent minnesota governor since arnie carlson back in 1994 Back at the MinFish Summit that was held in April, Governor Walz was very supportive of some outdoor initiatives from sporting groups, uh, including uh, refurbishing some of our state fish hatcheries, as well as uh, investing some money in public boat landings, which are very important, of course, for folks who want to go access our public waters. He got no support. From either of those proposals from the Republican Senate, and I think he again could have at the game fair debate leveraged that a little bit and pointed that out to sporting interests that hey, I was on board. As I pointed out in my column this week, okay, Governor Walls, uh, you ran into a roadblock with the Republican Senate on some of these proposals uh, during the last session. They're gone. They they're not gone. You've got slim DFL margins in the House and Senate, but you've got. Enough of of a cushion to pull off some of these priorities. And, again, as I pointed out in my column this week, sportsmen really need to hold Governor Walls to his word. We need to get some of these things done. And, you know, we're not talking about outlandish things. we got fish hatcheries that are in really lousy shape. You know, these things are are old facilities. They need to be refurbished. The same with some of our boat landings. I I think anybody with any common sense can look at that and say, uh, let's get it done. I hope folks didn't think I took too cynical of an approach on this. I, I think generally Democrats are pretty good on, on conservation issues. They've been good on environmental issues. We would not have gotten the uh, dedicated funding done back in 2008 without Larry Miller, a hardcore Metro DFLer, uh, supporting that. Uh, at the same time, we've got a legislature that's one-third brand new, probably doesn't recognize a lot of our traditional sporting issues, We've got, I don't know what percentage of the legislature was around in 2008 when we passed dedicated funding, but I suspect, suspect it's pretty small. Bottom line, I think sportsmen need to reach out to their state senators and their new House members, introduce themselves, and say, please, advocate for outdoor issues. These are important things in 2023. I'm getting a signal we're going to take a break. When we return, we are going to talk to the new MDHA director, Jared Missouri. This is WCCO Outdoors. Welcome back, everybody. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. Rob Drieslein with you till the top of the hour. Uh, After we're done at 6 o'clock, stay tuned for 60 minutes. And then after 60 minutes, Steel Talking with Geraldine Steele. So lots coming up here on CCO this evening. We are going to jump in now with an interview I conducted with the new Minnesota Deer Hunters Association Director, Jared Mazurek. Great young man, check it out. As promised, I want to check in now with the new executive director coming into the fold here in Minnesota of the Minnesota Deer Hunters Association, Mr. Jared Mazurik. Jared, welcome. Thanks for joining me on the broadcast.
1: Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me.
0: So, Jared, you live out in Colorado now, but you're originally from Minnesota. When, when are you officially taken over? Tell us, Tell us a little about your background.
1: Yeah, so officially taking over full-time back there, uh, first of the year. So kind of wrapping things up up here out here with uh, selling our house and buying a house back in Minnesota. Um, so just kind of working part-time as I can for MDHA currently, because I'm still working full-time out here through the end of the year.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. And you're originally from Minnesota? Where are you from in the state, Jared?
1: Yeah, I grew up in uh, Mound, uh, the Lake Minnetonka area. Went to Mound West Tonka High School. So I came out to Colorado to do my undergrad at the University of Denver, studied environmental science, geography, and, and Spanish there. And then, at the University of Denver. Yep. So a bit of a hockey rivalry there, but uh, we won't get into that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And then I did my my master's in teaching at Colorado College.
0: We've reported quite a bit over the past uh, several months about the, the departure of Craig Engwald, a longtime executive director at MDHA, the state's largest deer hunting organization, and probably one of the larger state deer hunting organizations in the country.
1: It is, yeah. Yeah, it's um, one of the biggest that I know of as well. Yeah, we've got roughly 20,000 members um, on average.
0: So uh, Mr. Engwald had been there a number of years. What attracted you to the role? You've kind of been more of an environmental ed kind of guy out in Colorado. Why come back you know you're, you're living on Colorado right mountains elk uh skiing that sort of thing why come back to Minnesota to uh, tackle uh, deer hunting issues here wow. you know, to get into chronic wasting disease and fun things like that
1: <laughs> yeah um you know I absolutely love Colorado there's a lot that it has to offer and you know great hunting great recreation opportunities out here but born and raised in Minnesota that's where my that's where my heart is that's where my family is and um, it's just it's the biggest honor to be able to take my experiences out west here and, and apply it to my native landscape and, you know, the, the place and the people that, that raised me. So real honor to be to be bringing those experiences back. And um, I actually started off my career working for Three Rivers Park District. I was running four corn camps um, for mm-hmm. them. OK, so, great got exposed to MDHA very early on in my career and have always kept an eye on the work that they do and and hope to come back and just honored to be able to do so.
0: I don't know if you're monitoring the results of the election, Jared, but the Minnesota legislature just went completely DFL. Tim Lesmeister and I will be talking about that a little deeper into the show, but we did see, you know, chronic wasting disease legislation usually stop in the Republican-controlled Senate the past couple of years. With the change over there, I I got to think it could be an intriguing time to maybe talk about CWD management in Minnesota. I, I don't know if you've thought about that at all yet.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think encouraged to see what we can what we can get pushed through, and uh, very excited to start working on some of those big policy changes and really benefit the, the health of the herd in the long run.
0: Jared, you got a young family? Well, you got a, a young son and maybe a couple more kids on the way? Is that right?
1: Yeah, I have a two-year-old son and then twin boys on the way. They'll be here in uh, February.
0: Man, you've got quite a <laughs> quite a number of changes coming over the next four or five, six months of your life, huh?
1: Yeah, all exciting changes, though.
0: You know, Jared, I'll, I'll ask you point blank. I, I don't know if you're aware, but that MDHA, they got a big board. Uh, and I've talked to, to other people involved with MDHA over the years and said it can be, a you know, it, it can be challenging navigating a, a huge board of directors like that. Do You have experience, uh, you know, inside, you know, big organizations and, and like I say, learning to uh, churn through all of the many personalities. How are you going to tackle that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've worked with an, a number of boards over the year of uh, over the years of varying sizes. I currently have a pretty big board um, where I'm at now, and you know, with with that does come its its challenges, comes uh, a lot of differences of opinions. But um, I think that's what you look for in a board. You look for those those diverse opinions, and um, you have to thank every every board member we have is representing. A demographic within the state of Minnesota, and so sure. that's our that's our goal is to have every person in Minnesota represented on our board, and to be able to get those perspectives um, voiced and considered, and then come to a unanimous decision in the end.
0: You're listening to WCCO Outdoors, and we're chatting with Jared Mazurik. He is the new executive director of the Minnesota Deer Hunters Association. They are based out of Grand Rapids, Minnesota. Craig Ingwald has been their executive director for a number of years, been a good source and friend of Outdoor News. He uh, he left for another role earlier this year, and there's been a long search jared to to fill that job and i'm you know really excited they found someone as qualified as you uh, to tackle it uh, jared will officially be taken over you said january 1st
1: that's correct although i think the first is a sunday so probably the second
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah gotcha but the first of the year he will be taking over you know jared i'm excited to see some young blood coming in into the role you're 31 years old i believe is that right
1: that's correct yes
0: uh, i'll be honest and, and you maybe you've heard this a little bit you go to the Moha Minnesota Outdoor Heritage Alliance banquet, and there's not a lot of young people there, and not a lot of young blood in the leadership of a lot of our conservation organizations. I'm in my early 50s, and I'm still one of the younger people at a lot of these events. So it's it's good to see some some younger folks jumping in. Do you think uh, is it is it a matter of your generation's time has come? Do you think you're an outlier uh, among conservation leadership, uh, being being a little younger? Or do you think um, maybe young people are stepping up more than uh, than folks like me might realize?
1: Yeah, you know, I I certainly hope that I'm I'm not an outlier. And uh, I've worked for a a number of years with the National um, or the North American Association for Environmental Education. Uh, They put together this kind of curriculum guide training to expose young folks, students to uh, natural resource careers and um, it really walks them through what careers are available, what universities offer degree programs to pursue that career in the future. And so really, I've spent a lot of time trying to cultivate that, that younger generation of conservationists um, that will be stepping into these leadership roles. And so I hope we can see more of that.
0: You know, I'm sure a lot of the things that MDHA has been working on over the years, hides for habitat, they've been involved in deer feeding a time or two over the past quarter century, of course, uh, chronic wasting disease. I believe in Javier's story, you mentioned the shotgun rule. That's something that that almost happened this year. We almost went statewide rifle. It, it eventually did not uh, get signed, so that's that's not in place. So a lot of those issues are are still brewing, still simmering. Are there any things that uh, Jared Mazurik wants to make a priority beyond those topics? Anything that that you see as perhaps putting your own personal stamp on the organization in a way, or, or just a priority you think that uh, you might also want to see percolate up?
1: Yeah, you know, I think, um, I think we owe it to our members. We owe it to the state of Minnesota to to get results, um, and to, to start really getting some of these policy changes through. And I mean, you mentioned some of the big ones. There's also, you know, the, the wolf, um, issue out there and, you know, that's a, that's a hot topic right now. And, um, MDHA has taken some pretty clear stances on, on all of those issues. And I wholeheartedly agree with those, those stances. And I'm, I'm looking forward to starting to work to get, get some measures pushed through. And I, I think in order to do that, Priority number one needs to be not just growing, but engaging our membership. We need to show that we have we have the support of of the people of Minnesota behind us in order to to really be taken seriously and and be fully considered for these policy changes.
0: So, Jared, do we think uh, we'll be seeing you down at the state capitol? Is that going to be part of your role, visiting St. Paul, uh, uh, checking in with some legislators? I know MDHA has had uh, some lobbying. Influence in the past, I believe the organization even had a, a hired a lobbyist at one time. I'm not sure if they still do that or now. But uh, you're going to you're going to be in the mix, rubbing elbows on public policy matters.
1: Absolutely, that is something that I'm looking forward to, and and will be getting started with as soon as possible.
0: Absolutely. All right. Well, Jared, I appreciate you spending uh, a segment with me here. And uh, we look forward to, to working with you. Any final thoughts? What do you like to do for fun when you're not uh, raising kids or working?
1: Obviously hunting, um, big uh, deer hunter, elk hunter, pheasant hunting. But I think just one final thought is um, I really want to get the message out there on, on what MDHA is and what we do for the state of Minnesota as a whole. We are the, the Deer Hunters Association, and so all of the work we do is, is viewed through that lens of deer hunting. But if you look at the, the deer season from start of archery to end of muzzleloader, we're talking about four months out of the year. So that leads, you know, 33% of the work we do directly benefits deer hunters engaged in the act of deer hunting. 100% of the work that we do benefits the state of Minnesota. Um, we are providing public lands, recreation opportunities for really every citizen within the state. And so I think there's a lot of potential to really grow our network grow our memberships um, just beyond deer hunters
0: yeah well put so Jared if folks want to find out more about what MDHA is all about where should they go
1: they can find us um, all of our information at mndeerhunters.com
0: there you go mndeerhunters.com I'm sure you're going to be a regular guest on this show as as well as a a regular quote in outdoor news uh, starting the first of the year I'm excited to have you in, in the fold Uh, Jared, it looks to me like MDHA worked hard to find a good person and they pulled it off. Congratulations.
1: Thank you so much, Rob. It's been a pleasure.
0: Jared Mazurek, new executive director of the Minnesota Deer Hunters Association. Don't go away. We're going to take a break. More of the broadcast after these messages. Hey, everybody, welcome back. WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. Rob Jerislein will be with you till the top of the hour we're going we're going to talk ice here in about 15 minutes or so give you an update on some ice conditions around the state but first i want to check in with a fine public servant major robert Garecki of the minnesota department of natural resources enforcement division uh, several weeks ago i wrote a story minnesota's top 10 hunting related deer hunting related violations and major Garecki was my major source on that piece and he joins me now. I, I thought we'd check in with him about that story and maybe see how the 2022 deer hunting season is going. Uh, Major Grecki, are you with us? I am. Thank you for the opportunity. Oh, well, thanks so much for joining us uh, on a Sunday evening here on uh, live on WCCO Outdoors. Uh, Major Grecki, like I say, I talked to you right before the season got going. We're several weeks in now since the the deer hunting season kicked off. Uh, I guess first, I would ask you, are our hunters behaving this year? How's it going overall? Can you speak to that? Is it an average year or above average year? Uh, a quick uh, quick summary of how you think this year's going?
2: Yeah, this year has been about about average for for hunters and in the type of violations we find. again, uh, the same top ten violations pretty much held true uh, again this year. but overall, uh, hunters were very compliant, and most of our contacts were were fantastic, and people were just out having a good time.
0: Good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I know the weather has been highly variable. It's created some challenges for deer hunters this year. I'm hoping as we get into the back half of the season, there's still muzzleloading to go. There's a lot of archery hunting. 3B season got going uh, yesterday down in southeastern Minnesota, so still a lot of opportunity. Of course, Wisconsin too, for that matter. Let's talk about the story I wrote. These are the most common violations that conservation officers like yourself see during the deer hunting season and number one most years I think it was number one the past 2 years I think it was number one three of the past 5 years unfortunately is baiting and I dare say it didn't seem like baiting was quite as big a deal when I got into this business as an outdoors writer 25 30 years ago but it came on strong here 15 20 years ago and it and it still remains a problem why why is baiting so unfortunately popular among some violators?
2: Yeah I think it just it gets to the uh, point of people trying to get a leg up on their neighbors uh, trying to have uh, uh, something that their neighbors don't have or something that's going to bring the deer towards them instead of uh, maybe perhaps their neighbors or the person down the road and I think it's just uh, you know human greed trying to uh, increase
0: their odds. You got a lot of guys out there who maybe have bought small parcels. Maybe there's been subdividing of, of traditional hunting parcels. And, and, yeah, maybe that has something to do with it where it's, well, I got this 20 acres that I'm hunting and I need to try to pull the deer in here. But it, it is illegal. You're not supposed to do it. And it's also a problem because any time you're concentrating deer, you're increasing the pers- possibility of disease transmission, Correct.
2: That's correct. Anytime you're going to be concentrating deer feeding in one area, they are going to be interchanging saliva and eating out of perhaps the same pile of corn or whatever it may be, and that's, of course, a a bad thing for CWD and a lot of other commonly transmitted diseases with cervids.
0: The state legislature increased the penalties for baiting about 10 years ago. Did that seem to get the attention of some of the hunters, you know, these these higher penalties? Was it about $400 in, in fees and you could lose your firearm? Does that, does that resonate with some, some guys more than maybe the, the, the previous penalties did? It, it
2: does. I believe it does make a big difference. And I think one of the most important things that the legislature did is they made it an automatic one-year revocation if you are convicted of hunting over bait. So that's been a big thing for these, these hunters. And I think that's definitely persuaded a few to, to not take that chance.
0: And do you think baiting is going to be our number one violation again this year, or has is, is, is it seemed lower than than the past couple of years?
2: You know, I think it's probably going to be about the same uh, mm-hmm. consistently uh, going into the end of the year here. It's hard to say. We haven't seen final numbers yet, but uh, I know there's been a lot of cases made over, over the last uh, about two weeks now.
0: And yeah, I'm always struck by the baiting thing, Major Grecke, because – yeah, I, I know it takes a lot of labor on the part of conservation officers to go out and track who's baiting b- before the season, but it sure seems like a, a really easy thing, relatively easy thing to bust somebody on, right? Because, I mean, it, it's very noticeable, especially from the air, right? You can see deer trails, that, a lot of times they kind of come in almost like on a, on a wagon wheel to the to the bait, right? <laughs> right in the center of the wagon wheel.
2: Ab- absolutely. You know, we have a lot of tools that we use to try to detect uh, bait on deer. On- on various different parcels of property across the state, and and probably one of the biggest uh, things that is that we have that helps us is actually uh, neighbors or uh, people that are hunting in the party or is maybe aren't uh, uh, want to be part of that. Um, and we get a lot of tips from the public on it, and that's been really beneficial and it's really helped um, keep uh, keep baiting down. I believe
0: it's an obvious opportunity for me to drop that tip hotline eight hundred six five two nine zero nine three. If you see or you're aware of any illegal activity out of doors that that you think a conservation officer should know about, call that turn-in poachers hotline, 800-652-9093. We print it on the front cover of Outdoor News every week after week after week, so it's uh, it's very easy to find. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. I am Rob Gerizan, and we are talking to DNR Enforcement Major Robert Garecki uh, via the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Major grecki one thing that, that kind of struck me as we were talking at several weeks ago about this story, it wasn't, it wasn't real high in the top ten. I think it was the number nine most common violation last year and the year before. But we still have a few people. You've you, you got, you got to get after them with some verbal warnings for not wearing blaze orange. That's hard to believe that still pops up.
2: It is. It's really hard for me to understand why people would take that risk. Um, You know, every year or or many years, we have people that mistake a a noise or or a shape in the brush, and they take shots they probably shouldn't. And I just don't think uh, the average hunter wants to take that risk. And so that's why we require the Blaze Orange to keep everybody safe. But unfortunately, there's still some that choose not to or or forget for whatever reason.
0: And I tell you, folks, if you look at the statistics in terms of the number of hunting-related accidents that have occurred over the past century— uh, and, and there's a couple factors there. One is we've we've required firearm safety, which has gone a long way to improving how people handle firearms when they're deer hunting. But the other thing is requiring blaze orange. And I mean, uh, hunting is significantly safer than it was 50 or 75 years ago before those things were in place. Uh, it, it's remarkable how much how, how few hunting related accidents there are now, thanks to firearm safety training and and blaze orange. And any any thoughts, Major Grecki?
2: Yeah, I think that that that's absolutely right on. And I, if you compare hunting uh, sports compared to other sports, whether that's uh, football or any of these other out, uh, outdoor sports that we have it is one of the safest sports out there and, I, and we really encourage uh, families and uh, to participate in that young get young children involved of course in a safe manner uh, have them go through that firearm safety and 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 get them out there because it's a great opportunity for a family to to spend time together but as well uh, as uh, stay safe in doing these outdoor activities
0: without question The final paragraph I had in my story was actually something that interests me that I thought was important to point out to hunters, even though I don't believe it makes your top 10. Uh, That's that hunters cannot use radio-controlled devices in the taking of deer. And a cell phone, folks, uh, qualifies as a piece of radio-controlled equipment. You can't be using walkie-talkies or cell phones to coordinate deer drives or, you know, hey, I, I saw a deer go by my stand 200 yards away. Uh, it was out of range. I couldn't get a shot, but I know it's walking toward my buddy's stand. I can't call him and tell him that deer's coming, right?
2: That's correct. Yeah, that's one of those things that uh, we, we want to make it an ethical, fair chase for these, for these animals and for the hunters, and man, that's one of those things that we uh, do prohibit.
0: Yeah, that's that's an important one, and, and that's not to discourage folks from taking their cell phone out hunting, right? They're great safety devices.
2: Absolutely, and in fact, we encourage everybody to bring a a, a a cell phone with them and, and letting people know where they're at, and if there is a problem, to make sure that they do call so that they are able to get help out there. Every year we do respond to nine one one calls of hunters that perhaps maybe fell out of a deer stand um, or got lost. Uh, we had a lot of lost hunters this uh, this deer season, and it's one of those tools that has uh, saved many lives. So definitely bring them with.
0: I moose hunted once in the Boundary Waters before cell phones were everywhere, and we brought a pair of those walkie-talkies. And we talked to the local CO before we went in. We said, we're going to have these for safety. Heads up. He said, that's great. He said, I don't want to hear you talking about moose hunting on them, but, you know, use them, bring them in there for, as a safety device. That's, that's great. And I think that's a great attitude. I appreciated that from him, uh, as well as all of our DNR enforcement conservation officers. Major Grecki. we're out of time, but I sure appreciate you spending a few minutes with me. Thanks for all you do and all our great Corps of Conservation Officers do out there to protect Minnesota's natural resources.
2: Well, thank you, Rob. We appreciate it, and, and you have a safe uh, winter
0: here. Oh, I'm looking forward to a lot of great opportunities out of doors. Thanks a lot. Happy holidays to you and your family. Thank you. Right. Major Robert Grecki from DNR Enforcement. We appreciate him checking in with us. It's time to get in a break. Uh, we are going to come back in a few minutes, maybe take some calls. If you want to uh, check in with me, you can call 651-461-9226. Otherwise, we're going to get some ice reports from Glenn Schmidt. Don't go away. More outdoors WCCO outdoors coming at you after these messages. Welcome back, everybody. WCCO outdoors on News Talk eight three zero. Final segment of this week's broadcast. Uh, we're going to talk a little ice fishing. Believe it or not, we're already getting geared up for ice fishing. We the hard we had the hard water expo up in Blaine this weekend already, and what we're two weeks away from the biggest ice fishing show in the world, the St. Paul Ice Fishing and Winter Sports Show over at River Center. That, uh, of course, is always the weekend after Thanksgiving. It'll be two weeks from now. So looking forward to that. I will be down at that show. I hope a lot of folks maybe stop by and visit. To give us an update on what he's hearing and seeing around the state for ice already, calling in on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline is my friend Glenn Schmidt. He puts together the Outdoor News Fishing Report every week, and he joins us now. Schmidt, are you there, my man? I'm here, Rob. How are you doing? Very well. It's it's good to hear you, good to talk to you, I hadn't talked to you in a while. Sure. Uh, and I uh you know, I can't you know, two weeks ago I, I can't imagine we'd have thought we'd be talking potential ice, but things can can change rapidly. We had s- seriously below normal temperatures uh, you know, the past week and ice can form pretty fast. What are you hearing? Is there is there any ice fishing going on in the state yet? And of course we gotta stress safety. Uh <laughs> But uh, nonetheless, there might be some some guys going out in extreme northern Minnesota. What are you hearing?
3: Yeah, I mean, I'm absolutely sure there were people on the ice uh, already this weekend, you know, limited basis. But, you know, as I put together that fishing report last week already, uh, early in the week, um, you know, some of these small lakes tucked back in the woods, uh, people were checking them out and walking on two, two to three inches of ice. Um, there kind of seems to be a cutoff line from where I am in central Minnesota. Pretty much everything around my area is is locked up here and that just happened the last couple of nights uh rob so um south of here not so much but uh you know we're off to a really good start that cold weather we had thursday friday you know and last night i'm amazed at how much ice has already taken hold like up on red lake for example rob they're uh they're they're ready to go they're gonna have they're gonna let people start getting out i think on friday uh the thursday after thanksgiving here they're talking three to five inches of ice as of this afternoon Mm -hmm. so yeah it's uh You know, you've got to work through an outfitter and a resort guy up there. But, yeah, there's going to be a lot of ice fishing going on, not just there. But I think north of Brainerd by this weekend, we're going to be in pretty good shape in a lot of areas.
0: Well, I mean, if we can get on ice in the northern half of the state by Thanksgiving weekend, that's a pretty good year. And, again, we we had a hot summer, a very hot, dry fall. Uh, but conditions can change rapidly, and it seems like those lakes are just sitting there, right there. You know, the nights the nights are long even by September and October, and you start to lose heat out of them, and then you get that cold snap, and bam, they're they're ready to go. So that's that's some good news. I think the outdoor industry needs that, and and I'm excited about it. Schmitty, uh what about snow? And and first of all, what does snow do to ice and making ice? So for the so the average person out there, they need to understand snow is not. It's not necessarily good with ice, which is a little counterintuitive to folks who who maybe aren't in our line of work.
3: Sure, yeah, well, you know, it's an insulator. We we talk about it all the time, uh, especially at early ice. You put snow on top of that stuff, and it just slows that entire process, you know. And then you tend to get water underneath the snow, and it just it, it can create uh, problems all winter long. Fortunately, at this point. Um, you know, they had some snow up on Red Lake, for example, again, Rob, and they were they were worried about these little inch and a half snows were starting to pile up a little bit, right? And uh but they had enough wind it sounded like on Friday, I believe was a well, it seems like it's been windy every day, but Friday or right. Thursday it flew really good and it and it blew a lot of that snow off the ice. So um it's it's not a good deal, especially like I said, thin ice. it, it you know, you can have issues all winter long when you put, you know, when you get six inches of wet, heavy snow on four inches of ice, man, that's uh, that can be tough for you know and slow that process and just makes it a grind all winter. But I think right now, if we don't get anything, you know, and I haven't seen anything temperature-wise that's too you know extremely warm again. Um, we're in pretty good shape. I mean, I saw pictures of Winnie and and Leech today that were starting to ice over, and big areas of those lakes have started to ice over. So, um, yeah, hack and sack. I know there was guys around there on some of them small lakes ice fishing this weekend already. Pike Bay on Lake Vermillion, which is a big body of water, was ice capped last Monday already. So I am truly amazed. I was fishing in my boat 10 days ago, very comfortably <laughs> in 60-degree weather, right? Right. <laughs> and, and it's just it's amazing. Like, uh, even around here, like I said, I drove around our local lakes here this morning, and they're 90% ice covered, with the exception of those big, deeper, you know, windswept lakes. But um, I'm amazed how quickly this ice has taken hold and, and, and keeps building already.
0: Driving around today, I saw a lot of ducks moving, and I mean that's always a sign that things are icing up. Right when the ducks are clearing out and 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 heading south, uh, looking ahead on on the long range forecast here in the metro area, I am not seeing any snow, so that's good news. Yep. I am seeing I am seeing a little closer to normal daytime highs. I am seeing a thirty, you know, a couple thirty nines, but that's not that's not I mean, it's above freezing, but the nights are so long right now. As long as we're getting well below freezing at night, we're making ice, right?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Especially with no snow on it, like you said. And, you know, when it gets above freezing, that's just a short window each day. You know, you got an hour or two in the in the afternoon where it's above freezing and then it starts going the other direction again. So, um, you know, the other the big issue is, you know, the wind. We got to keep the wind down on mm. these lakes. Uh, you know, even with this, you know, on bigger lakes, if they got a couple inches of ice, you know, that ice will shift and bust up. So, um, if we can keep the wind down and you know stay out of that forty degree stuff, um, I think we're set for a, a pretty solid start to the ice fishing
0: season. Schmidty, I'm down to my final minute here, but uh, we already had the hard water expo up in Blaine. I saw a lot of social media posts from that. It looked like a very great event. A lot of folks turn out. The big uh, St. Paul show in two weeks, ice fishing show. Uh, folks are motivated. Looking like a great start to uh, to this this season's ice fishing across the state.
3: Yeah, I mean. it's good yeah it's uh you know you know rob this ice fishing market is it has become huge with these wheelhouses now i mean mm-hmm. people are spending spending the weekend spending a week at a time on the lake right winter camping and ice yeah. fishing it's almost like catching fish is a bonus for some folks but you know and we've got such you know so many uh, quality tools at our disposal now the electronics the augers the, the lighter shelters i mean you you know, you, you can do a lot of things on the ice now that you just weren't weren't an option 15 years ago. So uh, those ice shows are a, a good spot to find some good deals and put your hands on the new products. And have. And I think most important, yep. you know, the stuff is expensive, so there's somebody there that can help you out, right, yeah. and, and yep. tell you what you're buying. All
0: right, Schmitty, great stuff. Thanks for calling in. Great information. We'll check in with you a little bit later, see how the season's going. See you, buddy.
3: All right, sounds good. Appreciate
0: it. Yeah, Glenn Schmidt, he puts together that Outdoor News Fishing Report, does a great job, and looks like we're off to a really optimistic start for ice fishing 2022-2023. Like Schmidt, he was saying he was fishing in his boat 10 days ago. Who'd have thought we'd be this close? I'm out of time. Thank you, Jonathan Lowe. Thank you, everybody who's joined us. Thanks for being with us, WCCO Out of Doors.